Well, I hope you enjoyed that clip, and maybe heaven looks a lot like that for you in your mind. Uh, Hollywood has really changed our perspective of heaven. Um, and today we're going to talk about a biblical perspective, because sometimes Hollywood just really misses the mark. Yes, there will be that amount of joy, but heaven looks a little bit different, and we're going to talk about the, that today. My name's Haley Shepherds, and I was your former pastoral intern, and now I am your outreach minister, which I'm super excited about. Uh, I get to serve you uh, in a new, same role, just a different title. Uh, and I'm still in seminary. I'm finishing up my last year, but it's just been an honor to serve you this past two and a half, three years now, and I look forward to one more. So I just want to say thank you to all of you uh, for just being with me in this journey. I've had many of you tell me that my first sermon was great, and now you've listened to me now, and you say, yep, that first sermon was rough, and I don't blame you, it was. Uh, so I've definitely had a lot of practice uh, with you all, and I just thank you for, for bearing with me, and I'm really excited to bring you this message today about a great topic, about heaven. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> And so now I get to move on to these big topics, like talking about eternity, which is great. But maybe uh, heaven looks like that for you in your mind. Maybe it's the clouds, the golden gate. Uh, maybe someday you think you, and you pray that you could enter this space, this heavenly realm that we're going to talk about. Our VBS theme for the past two weeks has been to eternity and beyond. And our kids oftentimes ask a lot of big questions. What is eternity? What's beyond? And I don't think that stops when you grow out of your childhood. It continues through adulthood. And maybe for you, the thought of eternity sounds frightening. Maybe all of that time, you think about how small we are in relation to the universe, the cosmos, and it can seem a little bit scary. Maybe you're shaking in your boots thinking about, oh, am I good enough to enter the gates of heaven? Or maybe you're the person that would just prefer to just poof, not exist because the unknown must be scary, right? God calls us to unknown places. He calls us to trust in who God is and to trust God's promises from the beginning of the Bible and to the end. And today, we're gonna talk about the end of scripture from our Bible reading. But maybe you're just thinking about eternity and thinking, man, it's, it's not possible. The odds of there being a life after death, it seems like a miracle. I want you to know that you existing in this room today is in and of itself a miracle. The fact that every single ancestor of yours from the beginning of time lived to puberty, for you to exist in this room today is one in 700 trillionths of a chance. You are a miracle. And so then life after death seems possible, right? Because you're here. And we get to experience that. Our faith tells us that. And it's no accident that you get to experience that. And that's what we believe here at Hope. If it's your first time here, we always say it. It's no accident that you're here. It's a miracle. And one of the biggest misconceptions of heaven is that you will be bored. That is the number one question I get is, will I be bored in heaven? The second one is, is if heaven's just an eternity of church services, I don't want it. And the third one <laughs> is this idea, you know, that heaven will just be too great, that, we'll, that we won't have any purpose. And all of those couldn't be further from the truth. And maybe you're thinking, there's no way I can believe in life after death. I want us to reframe the way we look at heaven. One of the most foundational verses in scripture points to this eternal reality. We read it in John 3.16. Odds are you've heard it before. Let's go ahead and read this together. 
For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That eternal life is this key piece here. Eternal literally means massive. It means big in scripture. It also means without edges. So it just keeps going. And that idea of eternity can seem scary because we've only ever known the cage of time. But God is bigger than time. God is not, is not is over, God has the power over time. And so time is really just a construct that humans face in this world. And so what is heaven like? Why does heaven exist? And why are we here on earth? We learn in scripture from the beginning of the Bible, we'll just have to jump back to the beginning before we get to the end, we learn about the space heaven and our space earth and how they become separated. Human beings once worked together. God was with us in the Garden of Eden and we look back to the book of Genesis where we see this united and perfect world where our spaces, heaven and earth, were one. But because of sin, they were divided. And death is a consequence of that sin, of our rebellion, of humans saying, no God, we don't want your way, we want our way. Because we have free will, the world was divided. And we learn all about why death exists. We learn in Romans that death is a consequence of sin. Our sin literally means to miss the mark, to go away from the way God intended things to be. We no longer had access to this heaven space. But we learned that death is not final in our Bible reading today and throughout the entire scriptures. John 3.16 points to this, that death is not final. And 1 Corinthians 15 does too. We also learned that in God's kingdom, death shall be no more. Another term for heaven is the kingdom of God. I want us to reframe our perspective of heaven as not some place in the clouds, but a position with God. We can try to figure out where heaven is, if it's in another dimension, if it's in a different realm, but the reality is, is it's unknown to us. It's God's space. It's not meant to be our space. But scripture brings us this great news that brings great joy, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Romans 6, 5, we learn that because Jesus died and rose from the dead, we also will join him in his death and be raised to new life. You too will experience a bodily resurrection. Great news, right? You get life after death. But what does this bodily resurrection look like? Another question I get is, well, if my loved one has been cremated, what happens to their body? Doesn't God need their body? We worry so much about what our age will be like in heaven, what our bodies will be like. We start to forget about the body that made us being able to have access to heaven possible. The body that was put on the cross. And that, my friends, is our priority. God will take care of the details. We learn this in 1 Corinthians, what our heavenly bodies will be like. Earthly people are like earthly men, and heavenly people are like heavenly man. Just as we now are like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. 
we learn that when Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus' body looked different. His disciples kind of recognized him, but he took on this heavenly form, one that you will receive. We say oftentimes in this church that it's all about Jesus and the rest is details, and the same goes for our bodily resurrections and the life after death. Just because your body dies doesn't mean that you die. We have uh, this, this life force within us, and we learn about it in the New Testament. We got so far off track in Hollywood. We will not be some Casper the Friendly ghosts roaming around lost. That's not the reality. We get to see that this English word for soul is really lost in translation. The word soul in English means something like a physical, immortal sense of a person that's trapped in their body and that's released at death. This idea is actually completely foreign to our biblical writers in the Old Testament. In fact, in the Old Testament, the word closest to soul is a word called nefesh. Nefesh literally means your life force. It's bigger than your body. And it's a translation that also represents your throat. So if you were thirsty in the Old Testament, your nefesh would dry up. To love God with your whole nefesh means to devote your whole physical being and spiritual existence to the one who created you. And so who can give their entire life force devoted to God? Who can be that perfect person? No one, because our world is divided. Our space and God's space, now separate. That's where Jesus comes in. During Jesus' ministry, we start to see glimpses of heaven. Jesus says oftentimes that the kingdom of God is near. In the resurrection, we see heaven and earth collide. Jesus becomes this access point, and the kingdom of God is now present on earth. Jesus says this in the Gospel of Luke. The kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. And so if we want to know what heaven is like, we need to look to the life of Jesus. I have another clip that I want to show you about a glimpse of heaven. I could tell you all day and, and go through the book of Revelations and try to pinpoint what heaven looks like, but we see the greatest example in Jesus. Jesus in the, Gospels run in, the Gospel of John runs into this woman a Samaritan woman at a well. And he's the, she's the first person that he tells who he is, the Messiah, that the kingdom of God, heaven is here, and it's for you. You get to be in the presence of God. She was a woman we would least expect, someone who was well-known in her community as a sinner. Jesus, being a Jewish man, would have never even associated with a Samaritan woman. She was an outcast. And she goes to the well in the middle of the day because no one wants to be seen with her. And yet, Jesus comes to her. This is the glimpse of heaven, and I want us to take a look at this clip. Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask her to drink from me, a Samaritan? And a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. 
You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Wood. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. What would it be like to be fully satisfied? And another great news, Jesus is actually really funny. If you've ever read scripture, Jesus is absolutely hilarious. But Jesus speaks so much truth in this moment about what Jesus offers. When heaven comes to earth, we see glimpses of heaven. And this is one of the greatest moments, at least for me in the Bible, that we get to see a heavenly reality. This is what heaven is all about, Jesus says. We learn in Revelations that God makes a home with us. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, even if we're outcasts or no one wants to be seen with us. The Samaritan woman says, but I'm an unclean vessel. And Jesus says, I've come to make a home with you. The kingdom of God is near. And we learn that this heaven reality, life with Jesus, and that life after death is no more tears, sorrow, or pain. Jesus says, I'm coming to make all things new. And that God is eternal. So that when we experience community with God, when we are in this place of heaven, in a position with God, we get to experience eternity. Because God is eternal. And Jesus shows us that we are wanted in the kingdom of God. And it was worth dying for to be reunited with the creator of universe, and we start to see these two spaces crash. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, and a dove descends, and we get to see another glimpse into heaven. John also says this, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God didn't leave the world's divided, but instead decided to come into the world and do something about it. Jesus is called the Lamb of God because he was sacrificed on our behalf. We learned that his death created this permanent access point between heaven and earth. And now through prayer and through God's spirit, you too get to experience heaven. Not someday, but now. Today. And get to share that with others. Now as you can see, these two spaces are far from completely reunited. 
we see throughout this Bible this idea, this theme of heaven and earth coming back together fully. And that's what our Bible reading is all about. Maybe you've heard this before, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. We say those things in prayer. Now this might be strange to you if you're coming here to church for the first time, but we believe here that Christ will come again because that's what scripture tells us. That's what Jesus promises us. It's true, heaven and earth will come together. We read this in Revelations 21.1. John gets a vision from God about what this new reality is when heaven and earth will fully come together. It's called the new heaven and new earth. We read this on the next screen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. Yes, Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection matter. It means we will also, too, experience this great gift of resurrection and eternal life. But God's work is not complete yet. The story in Revelation doesn't just end. The Revelation instead pulls back the curtain and points us to what's next. That we will fully exist in a new heaven and new earth with God. So we don't take the book of Revelation as this apocalyptic literature, which it is, Apocalyptic literature isn't what we think it is, and at least in our English terms. It's pointing to a new reality, what's to come with these grand visions. And John, who's receiving this vision from God, gives us a description of what he can only understand to be this new reality. And he can only describe it in the terms that he understands. And so John says that this, there's, instead of the Garden of Eden, we now see this new holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and, the, and of the Lamb. Not only do we see now this water of life, clear as crystal, offered for you for eternity, a place where you will be fully satisfied. That's what this life after death is all about. It's a city where there's people with a purpose, where there's people from every tribe, every nation, all coming together as one family to worship and work. And yes, there's a purpose. You will be completely satisfied. If you wanted to play a harp for thousands of years, and thousands of years, I'm sorry, that's just not the reality. But maybe you find some peace in that. And I promise you, you will not be bored because there's no more destruction, no more death. What once separated us from God will no longer separate us. No longer will there be a curse we read upon Revelations 22, three through five. Sometimes living here feels like a curse. Maybe you've experienced struggles in your life. Maybe you're just ready for God to give you renewal. You don't have to wait until someday after death to get it. Jesus offers it now, but there is this promise in our scripture today of something new that's coming. There will no longer be a curse upon anything when Jesus returns for the throne of God and the lamb will be there. We will be servants, we will worship him. We will see his face, his name will be written on their foreheads and there will be no night, no need for lamps or sun for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever. It's a promise that what's broken will be made right. All that separates us from God and from one another, the greed, the pride, the selfishness, the people we've hurt in our life, I have a long list. Maybe you do too. It will all be 
new. We will experience a new kind of intimacy with one another as God's people, one that's not inhibited by those things, but it's made perfect in love and by God's peace and by this fully satisfied nature that we will have because we will no longer thirst. Human beings will experience this new kind of reality. The revelation isn't written as a story, so I don't want you to take this description too literally, but see that it reveals what is to come, what creation has in store, what God has in store for creation. And the book of Revelation is written to comfort people. So when you think about Revelation, if all you think about is the rapture, I'm sorry, it's not in the Bible once. Instead, it points to this great victory that God will have over the earth and how you get to be a part of it. It's a promise that the story at the end, it doesn't end here. And so maybe you're wondering, can I make a reservation? Can I sign up for that? Can I have a drink of that life-giving water? When I was in middle school, I would always ask, you know, can I go to the bathroom? Or can I, you know, go outside? And my teacher would always say, can you? It's may you. Did anyone else have that? Maybe you're teaching, you're thinking, I say that all the time. But I think it's really applicable here. We will not be experiencing heaven if we're asking, can we do it ourselves? Can I experience heaven without this whole Jesus thing? Can I just be good when it comes to heaven? The answer to those questions are no. Instead, we get to ask the questions of may I? So all your teachers get that victory here. May I receive the gift of grace? May I receive forgiveness, God? May I receive your mercy and love? And finally, may I receive this eternal life? And the truth is, we can't. Unless you're perfect, and if you're perfect in this room, teach me your ways, because I am not it. But Jesus will always say yes. When you say, may I, Jesus says yes, because I can, and I did for you. Just believe that I can do it. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9, we read this. And let's say it together, because I think this is very, very important. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. We read in this, or we read in scripture, and we also see in this next clip, um, a woman maybe who isn't, doesn't feel worthy. And maybe you've experienced times where you didn't feel worthy of God's presence, where maybe you're like, God, I just can't have access to this. I once was um, with a youth group, I was part of a youth group, and um, we had a pastor get on stage and, and take a rose. And he told us that in order for us to give our love, we had to protect our love. And so he held out a rose to me as a 13-year-old and about five of my friends. And he said, every person that you give love to, that you give your love away to, that you give part of yourself to, is another petal ripped off the flower. And then when God gives you this incredible godly man someday, you will have nothing left to give them. So you better watch out. You better be worthy enough. You better be good enough. Otherwise, you're going to have nothing left to offer. 
I want to tell you today that if you've ever heard these words, this is the biggest lie. Jesus shows us that we can take our battered and bruised flowers ourselves. Whether for you it's you think you're unworthy because of your relationships, because of your behavior as a parent or a child, maybe you've been divorced. I want you to know that we take whatever we are, no matter how battered and bruised it is, and we get to lay that at the cross where Jesus says, I'm coming to you. No matter what you have to offer me, none of that matters. Instead, you matter. And God starts to build a garden with that flower, a garden that is given to you by God's spirit, that nourishes it. And then you can hand out these flowers to others who maybe don't feel so worthy, who maybe feel like they don't, aren't good enough or haven't done all the right things. Maybe they've suffered in their life. God, I've been dealt a really bad hand of cards, and I've just tried my best. Heaven seems great, but the beauty of this kingdom of God on earth is that we get to participate in it now. God gives us an entire garden to share with others through faith. And we get to offer that to others in love. And so not only are you worthy, but God says, absolutely, I can work with that. And so as we watch this last clip, I want you to take your battered roses and see what Jesus does. See what the kingdom of heaven has in store for you here in our final clip today. Where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him, even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <laughs> Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me, I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. 
You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. Once you know these things, because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. <laughs> you promised. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> <laughs> You forgot your um. Papsi, you man, you told me everything I ever did. <laughs> in spirit and in truth, Jesus says there's more than enough room for you, especially in my father's home. The outcast, the unwanted, the unworthy. Jesus says, I'm here. I've come to you. I've prepared a place for you. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. The best is yet to come. We get to experience Jesus this side of heaven. We get to share heaven with others. We say a lot around here, give them Jesus. We can give them heaven too. We can give them God's presence we can start making heaven more crowded like the Samaritan woman. So let's share this good news. And let's stand and worship together. Amen.